It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 753 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Joining me as my guest this week is Adam Hempenstall. Adam is the CEO of BetterProposals.io. It's a UK-based digital proposal platform. And we're going to talk about how to build a proposal that converts. And Adam's going to share a bunch of data-driven insights that his company has gleaned from the experiences of their own customers. Now, among the topics we're going to get into today are why proposals still matter in sales, why they're important for sellers, why they're important to get right, why a proposal is not meant to educate your prospect. If you're putting new information into the proposal that you've never exposed your, your buyer to before, generally not a good idea. Talk about which section should be in your proposal and what order. And we'll talk about pricing in terms of how many different offers should you put in your proposal and how should you write those, how should you, the word choice actually turns out to be very important in terms of how you, you phrase your pricing offers. So it's all very interesting. We'll be getting to that and much, much more. But before we get to Adam, I'm going to talk for a minute with William Tyree. William's the CMO of Ring DNA, and we're going to talk about Ring DNA's sales madness bracket challenge. Now, if you're longing for some non-virus-related madness this March, then check out this bracket challenge. Hey, before we jump into the show, I have another session with my friend William Tyree here, CMO of Ring DNA. We're talking about the sales madness bracket challenge. The last man standing for March Madness. William, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? Doing well. So yeah, before we jump into the show today, we just want to talk about some of the matchups we have. As, you know, for people that maybe aren't familiar, why don't you give us an overview of what the, the bracket challenge is? Absolutely. So the bracket challenge is essentially it's the Hunger Games of sales bot leadership. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are actually seeing a lot of engagement. Lots of people are making their way over to ringdna.com forward slash sales madness to create their bracket. There's so, 64 of the greatest. Do let's do that again. Ringdna.com. Okay. Ringdna.com forward slash sales madness. Sales madness. Okay. Yep. And people are making their way over there to vote for, you know, classic sales books that, you know, may have influenced their career. Yeah, so the we're going to have brackets so that uh, start with 64 teams, just like uh, March Madness would have, and work our way down uh, in the same calendar schedule that they had to eventually get a Final Four and crown a champion of the March Madness Bracket Challenge, which would be a book which, you know, the majority, not majority, but some <laughs> plurality, let's say, of people voted for as the most influential sales book in their lives. Absolutely, yep. And along the way, people can win all kinds of goodies. So we're giving away free year of Audible, set of Apple AirPods, instant sales library, lots of great like bring in a swag like Yetis and hoodies and sweatshirts and stuff like that. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah. if, you, if you haven't entered your bracket, go to ringdna.com forward slash March Madness or what is it? Sales Madness. Sales Madness. Oh, gosh. Ringdna.com forward slash Sales Madness and enter your bracket. So. I just want, in the few minutes we have, just want to cover some of the mat sample matchups that we've got going on. So our number one overall seed is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie, one of my all-time favorite books, matched up against the number 64 seed, which is Mastering Your Sales Process by my friend David Massover. Mm -hmm. David, he's a sales, sales expert based over in Hungary. And so yeah, I think this is a tough matchup for David. I mean, he's got a book that's 
very much worth reading, but it's seated against a personal classic or a perennial classic and a personal favorite of mine. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's almost not fair. Uh, but you know, this, you know, the seeds are what they are. And unfortunately, you know, I can see in the back end, I can see the way things are trending. So I would say that David's fans should get out and vote in droves because it's not going well for him. right now. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. I, I can imagine. I feel sorry for David, but I mean, I, I reread uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People probably for the 10th time just a couple years ago. So it's it's a book you keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that's sort of interesting is number 16 seed is Sell or Be Sold by Grant Cardone versus the number 49 seed, The Machine by Justin Roth March. Now, I may be in a minority, but in my my opinion, this one isn't even close. I mean, I think Justin uh, Roth Marsh is, is uh, always sort of pushing the envelope in terms mm-hmm. of with his perspectives how to organize sales teams, how to the role of hyper specialized roles in sales. Um, I don't know. I think that one to me has a lot more value than I thought the other book did for me. Well, you know, I think a lot of people might share your opinion, Andy. Um, there could be a uh, an upset in the making here. Uh, I would, you know, uh, Seller Be Sold, I think, continues to be in the top 50 sales books on Amazon uh, in terms of sales rankings. And it's really close right now. It's about 53% to 47%. So, you know, there's a lot of room on that one between now and, you know, end of voting for round one. And listeners, we're going to have Justin Roth Marsh back on the show in just a few weeks. So you want to make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh, I had one I couldn't really couldn't even vote on. And this was uh, number 17 seed, New Sales Simplified by Mike Weinberg versus number 48 seed, Solution Selling by Michael Bosworth. And I have to admit, this was really hard. I, I, I'm telling you people right now, I'm sort of punting on this one because I love both books <laughs> sort of equally mm-hmm. well. I mean, I think Bosworth plowed some new ground with his, uh, for a lot of sellers, when he published Solution Selling, um, it's a classic worth reading again and again. And, and I think Mike Weinberg good friend of mine has also done a fantastic job with that book. I think it's destined to become one of the all-time classics sales books. People love it. Uh, you know, what you read on the page is who Mike is. So I, I couldn't pick a favorite on that one. Yeah. You know, I, I have to admit this is a blind spot for me. Solution selling is an amazing book. I absolutely love it. Uh, uh, you know, Weinberg's book is, is something that I have to read. And I mean, judging by the amount of love it's getting by voters, I, I know now it's going to rise up to the top of my list. So it'd be interesting to see you know, how far that actually goes. Yeah, both very worthwhile. And then finally, let's just talk one. Um, this was interesting. Number eight seed was To Sell as Human by Dan Pink. And mm-hmm. versus number 67 seed, or 57 seed, Sales is an Away Game by Lance Tyson. Now, I just recently read Sales is an Away Game with Lance and absolutely fell in love with his book. Um, I mean, I think they're both excellent books, but, but uh, you know, Pink's book is more about the broader overview of selling. It's not really a sales book in my mind in terms of how-to. It's more about, mm-hmm. yeah, whereas Lance's is very much a very practical, sensible book that I think uh, should be in every salesperson's library. Yep, I, I, can, I can see that argument. I think that uh, you know, Dan Pink's book is, is definitely a book that a lot of sellers love for obvious reasons, but you're right. I, I think uh, Sales in His Way Game is definitely like right on the nose. You know, like really a lot of great practical advice for people. Yeah. All right. Well, those just a few of the matchups that we have. We'll make it back uh, after the next round next week and uh, 
talk about our sweet 16. That sounds great. William, thanks. Friends again, to fill out your brackets, go to ringdna.com forward slash salesmadness. That's ringdna.com forward slash salesmadness. Okay, let's jump into it. Adam, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you very much for having me. And you're joining us from Brighton, England, right? Close enough, yep. Oh, so where where is it precisely? Uh, so I'm in a town called Shoreham, which is close enough to close Brighton. Enough. But for anybody that doesn't know, Brighton is directly south of London. So draw a line down to hit the sea. And there you are. And that is Brighton. And there we are. That's right. And you are a follower of the Brighton Hove Albion football team, right? Certainly are. Don't want to admit it at the moment, but <laughs> yeah, it's uh, struggling a little bit this year. Struggling a little bit this year. They're entertaining to watch, though. Yeah, as long as we stay up. That's the main thing. <laughs> as long as we don't get relegated. Yeah. All right. Well, we're not going to, as followers of the show, no, I'm a big soccer fan. So we oftentimes get sidetracked with soccer talk, but uh, we'll spare people today. So you started a company called Better Proposals. And uh, it's a very interesting product. I was just wondering, so what was what was the impetus to start start this company? Uh, so I ran a web design agency for 10, 12, 14 years, something along those lines. Um, and then we sort of switched into running a software company. So it was a custom software company. Uh, so we'd go in, do a lot of consultation and present a big solution. Mm-hmm. Um, the common theme through both of those different iterations of the business was presenting proposals in order to win business. And right. at no point during any of that was it fun, easy, <laughs> quick, um, effective use of time, anything along those lines. So, But it always made the difference on whether you won the job or whether you didn't. So everything else was fairly constant. Well, I want to dig cool. into that for a second. So your experience was that, hey, you could have been uh, chatting with people, you know, mm-hmm. had multiple conversations, interactions with a potential prospect or a prospect potential buyer. And, yeah, you were educating them. But you got to the point where you thought, you know, the proposal is going to make a difference. So if you fully sort of educated them, what were you saying in your proposals that was yeah, you know, gonna make a difference. That was different than what you had told them before as part of your sales process. The question. Um, I suppose in my mind, in order to do the proposal effectively, I needed to ask good questions in the meeting or in the discovery session. Mm-hmm. So I suppose it's like some people would consider the proposal to be the document or the thing that you press send on. But to me, in order to do that part well, I had to ask good questions in the first place. So to me, the proposal was ask good questions, then write about it. And send it to them. That was that was to me what it was. Um, so if I got the questions wrong, all bets are off. It's no good anyway. Um, so to me, they were kind of connected. Um, but yeah, if I did a good job of asking the right questions and I understood their business, and then I could convey that well in the proposal, and then send it and do all all of that in a timely fashion and give it to them the way that they wanted to consume it, that that worked perfectly. Yeah, my question was perhaps a little bit different. This is, and this is, you know, because I think proposals are used differently now than they've been in the past and so on. But, you know, if, if I go into discovery and or a salesperson goes into discovery and they're asking questions, sort of the, the implication f- for many salespeople is, well, I'm going to answer those questions in our proposal or I'm going to answer those questions in a big um, presentation we do. 
But increasingly, you answer the question sort of on the spot because it's it's part of it's part of being able to ask the next question after that is to be able to provide an answer to the buyer to say, okay, here's some an- context or an answer to your question. Then, based on that, wh- based on their answer, what's yeah, what's the next next question I should be asking? And so, oftentimes, I found that you sort of answered a lot of the questions. You're not saving up the answers to your questions for proposals, but maybe the proposals are just, I'm summarizing once again what we've committed to. Is that is that how you sort of see it? Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. So I think if you are an experienced salesperson or you've been around the block a bit and what have you, that you can actually do an awful lot of um, question answering, objection handling, all that kind of stuff there and then. You can mitigate it. And you know when you get really good, you can actually bring things up that make them object, and then you can handle it mm-hmm. instead of instead of trying to brush it under the carpet and hope they don't mention it. <laughs> right. Provoke them into bringing something up, and then you've got the perfect chance for it. So that's when you can start to sort of stoke the fire and get quite good. But yeah, there's always going to be an element, especially in complex sales. If you're selling tins of baked beans, you don't. You do you know what I mean? Is the the value proposition is quite clear, isn't it? Are right. you hungry? Yes. Right. Well, there you go. Um, but in, in a complex sale or anything that's kind of involved or something technical or what have you, then there's always going to be an element of trying to summarize what it is that they're trying to achieve, the goals, the problems they've had, your solution, how you're going to do it, what makes you different, all that kind of stuff. That needs to be summed up and presented somehow. You have mm-hmm. to get that information back to them. Otherwise, they're not going to feel heard. So, yeah, I don't know... Well, I think, I think, I think, but I think it's a great point. We should should focus on that for a second, it's because again, it's is I see sellers that yeah do sort of save stuff up for hmm. the proposal, and and my belief is that proposals are not really meant to be educational. I mean, to your point, is they're really a summary of the commitments you've made, of the points you've mm-hmm. made, of you, and if perhaps even more understanding to your last point you made about they want to make sure they've been heard. I would phrase it slightly different is, is the customer wants to make sure that you understood, that they were understood, mm-hmm. right? And you convey that through your proposal. Yeah. And it, I think it, it extends beyond just the proposal. I think that's the, if, if I had to make a point about any of this stuff, it would be that. It would be that this all extends beyond that. You can't do a good job of the specifics of writing a proposal without having done a good job of the discovery. If, mm-hmm. you, met, if you mark that bit up, you're really you're into guesswork so (laughs) yeah i call at that point if you muck that up you're fighting for second place and you don't know it yeah (laughs) yeah that's a really good point um yeah i mean i think you know if there's any if there's any takeaway there it's you know ask really good questions and don't skimp on that part um and yeah you know the, the proposal can be you know should be a summary that shouldn't if you've done everything perfect and you've done everything textbook, there actually shouldn't be any surprises in the proposal. That was my point, right? You're not educating yeah. them. Is they're confirming what they thought they heard from you, yeah. uh, or you're confirming in their minds what they thought they heard from you. And that really important point is that you understood. Mm. Which is kind of why I've always recommended that the introduction or the executive summary or the overview or whatever it is that you want to call the first or meaningful piece of text should always be about explaining to them or getting across the point that you've understood what their issues are. By by highlighting them. By highlighting them, exactly. So, you know, stating exactly what it is that they're trying to achieve, 
you know, what the situation is now, where are things going wrong? What does this mean if you don't do anything about it? What's it going to look like if you do? And, you know, here's here's a brief kind of one sentence summary of exactly what we're going to do. And the rest is in here. You know, that they read that part. We know from the data, like, you know, anybody that uses our software will be able to, um, or any similar software to be able to see what is going on once people read the proposal, you would see that this is this is true, that people will read that part perfectly in relation to how much text is there. Mm-hmm. They'll spend a good couple of mm-hmm. minutes reading that part, and they'll spend a good amount of time on the pricing page, and the rest of it will be fairly skimmed over most of the time. Right. So in your, your system, you can track specific time on page each page of the proposal. Yeah, so you'd split this thing up into your sections. So you'd have kind of like your overview. You've had, you'd have like your you know your breakdown of what you're going to get. You'd have your uh, your time scales, your pricing, or, you know mm-hmm. your about stuff. What you know all that kind of stuff. And you'd see like, oh, okay, interesting. They opened it up. They read the first bit for a minute and a half. Then they jumped <laughs> to the pricing page, looked at it for four seconds, and then closed it. Huh? Okay, sticker shock, and they didn't like it. So they didn't bother reading the rest. Well, that's an interesting question, though. Is but I, mean, I think what you're describing is sort of typical behavior. Yeah. Is your data showing that you know if they only do that that they convert at lower rates, or if they if they do that but then they go back later and read it, then they convert at higher rates? So, what's your data telling you on that? On that, um, it's individual. So we don't. There's certain stuff that we look into and certain stuff that we don't. So that would be private data to me. Um, it's. I'm writing the rules on ethics here. So, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> to me, that would be that would be kind of a um, it, it's it's that's very involved maths, sure. and it's not there's not enough there to try to draw a draw a conclusion. Um, but you know, it, in an individual case by case basis, you could go in and have a look and, and see that that is that is generally true. In terms of conversion rates on that, it's it's difficult. But what I would say is it gives the salesperson a fighting chance of being able to follow up in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. Right. So if somebody has opened it, read the first bit for 20 seconds, then they're on a phone and you can see the devices as well. So you can, you can, you can build a bit of a picture as to what they're doing. So if they're on a phone at 6.30 in the evening and they've read the intro and looked at the pricing page and then they've closed it, they're probably on the train on the way home. Could be. Do you know what I mean? It's like you could start to build a little bit of a picture. So you wouldn't call them immediately and be like, hey, so did you get it? It's like, all right, chill. They're they're out. Do you know what I mean? They're not, you know. Um, But if they've opened it up, they've looked at everything, they've forwarded it to six different people, it's been 40 minutes total looking through every little bit. Well, now they've gone through and made a sensible decision, haven't they? So Mm -hmm. when you're following up with them at that point, you know, you're dealing with it at a different stage. It just... Does it change the outcome? I don't know. It's hard to say, but it just gives you a little bit more visibility so you can sort of plan your attack. Um, sounds a bit aggressive, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You can sort of get your game plan together and you could come in with a little bit more visibility and you don't come at it from this kind of weak, hey, did you, did you look at my proposal? Get it? You know, yeah. It's a really weak position to, to yeah. come at it from. You know? so just, it allows you just to come across with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more, you know, owning it a little bit more. Sure. Well, I, th- I think you can also make a case that if this is a, a good prospect you've been dealing with and you feel like you're in a strong position, you've, you've gotten the commitments to that point that you've wanted to get in terms of them moving forward and their commitment to the, the, uh, the approach you want to take for solving the problems, all that stuff, mm. that if it's really just a confirmation, so I send a proposal and they, 
read the executive summary and look at the pricing, oftentimes, at least in my experience, Ben, is that just make sure it's the same as what they heard before and hey, yeah. they, could be, they could be ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's also true. And I think, you know, that's that's the next thing is, is you know, if they are ready to go, well, what next? What's the next thing? Right. And right. Um, I did a little, like, um, we did a little YouTube show a little while back. I haven't done, a, I think we did four seasons of it. Uh, we called it Proposal Breakdown. And what it was, was people sent through real proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, some were customers, some weren't. So quality was right. um, buried. <laughs> and uh, it was really, really staggering to me how many people didn't put any sort of next steps on there. In the proposal? In the proposal. So they're just giving the info but no instructions. It's not a guided tour, which is what it should be. It should be like, cool. So here was this thing we discussed and there was this bit and there was, there was all the details that I promised you. And there's this bit and there's this bit and this is how much it's going to cost. This is how long it's going to take. And here's what you do next. Right. You know, here's where you sign. Then this is going to happen. Then that's going to happen. All nice and simple. All very cool. Just type your name and press go. That's it. It's like, that's what it should be like. Right. Well, it's one of the values of doing an online proposal system is that, yeah, yeah you integrate signature and even payment, depending on the type of yep. uh, product you're selling, right there. Yeah, exactly. And it, But what was incredible to me was, okay, let's just pretend that you're not using fancy online proposal software and you're doing it with you know Word and a PDF and mm-hmm. um, say hi to the dinosaurs for me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I had to get a little bit. Had, had, had to get that in there. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but you know, even if you are doing it the old school way, like still explain to them what the next steps are. That's that's gotta go in there. You can't it's not a game show. They shouldn't be trying to figure out what the next bit is. You should just tell them. Right. That creates friction. Yeah, you know, if if yeah. people like to be told, that's okay. You're at that point where, yeah, they won't be told what to do next. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Like keep it simple. Like, you know, print this out, sign send it back. Okay. That's a bit annoying. Obviously it'd be better if it was online digital signature. Fine. But keep it simple. Don't have complicated stuff in there. There was one proposal we reviewed and it was, um, I think the theory was good. It was a, it was a list of expectations. So I think the idea behind it was quite good. So it was like, here's what you can expect from us and here's Mm -hmm. what we expect from you. Mm -hmm. Cool. Not bad. Um, the problem was that the list of expectations, um, were this long. (laughs) <laughs> and, it, and that was kind of the next steps part of it. It was like, right. cool, if you want to go ahead, this is what we expect from you. And I was like, whoa, there should be like three things there tops, not right. 17. Right. Get rid of it. Oh. Yeah, it suddenly starts looking really complicated. Like, deal with it later. Just get the signature and move on. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's exactly. Really, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, I, I long talked about, you know, that one of the most important sales calls you ever make is is the first call you make after you sign the deal with the buyer because that's yeah. that's when you really start dealing with expectations again it's because if you're if you're dealing with a buyer and they're talked to five different vendors potential vendors for a product to solve their problem is i guarantee you that when they sign on the line with you what's in their mind about what they're going to receive is some mix of all five products from the five different vendors. And so your job, first call after they sign the order, is to call back your customer and say, hey, I just want to review with you what you're going to expect to happen at this point and what you're going to receive, when you're going to receive it, and so on. And it's a beautiful way to start a relationship on a good foot. Otherwise, yeah, your prospects are a little confused when they, after they sign. 
So yeah, it was an interesting. Great. Sorry, I was just going to say there was an interesting story where um, one of our customers, one of our oldest customers actually, a chap called Jack, he um, he ran a web design agency and he sent a proposal to one of his clients. They didn't look at the terms and conditions, which he includes in his proposal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just a simple sort of freelancer contract, nothing heavy. But she didn't look at it at all. And she also did look at the part where he explained what the website was going to do. So the features, the specification Mm -hmm. of the site, all that kind of stuff. So she signed it and immediately he's like, this doesn't look right to me. (laughs) So he pulled her up and was like, hey, I just wanted to check. Um, Basically did exactly what you said. I just run through and just re-summarize. And he was like, wow, when we went through that first page, we were miles apart. She thought she was getting one thing. We were building another, another thing. But she'd signed it. So you could say, well, you signed it. You looked at it. That was it. But that might be great in court, but is that good for a relationship? Not really. Well, or your reputation, right? I mean, she could easily get on LinkedIn or somewhere and trash you too. Yeah, and she would have felt you know, heavily aggrieved that this wasn't what was delivered. But she had a massive misunderstanding because she didn't bother reading it. So he cleared all that up with her. There was a few differences. They sorted it out, re-signed the new proposal. She definitely read it this time. And <laughs> it was all good. And but it was it was interesting. He couldn't have done that if he didn't know what she'd read and what she hadn't read. So if that was just like a PDF that was just either signed or not. Right. No idea. Yeah. Well that's interesting. Yeah, that's true. It's a great point. Is you have a record of what people actually went through and what they looked at. But mm. Yeah, I would say even in the case of as an online proposal system like Better Proposals or physical, yeah, call call the customer after they sign the order and just walk, spend 10 minutes just walking them through, as you said, hey, this is what you told us you wanted, this is what we understood, this is why you proposed this, and this is what you're getting and when. And I know so many salespeople that get frightened by that prospect. Oh, they're going to cancel the order. And to your point, you know, Jack, Jack got the order. Yeah. He, he was up front with her and explained it. That's what happens. People, hmm. yeah, always take that step. So I wanted to go through some some data that you had talked about in hmm. some of your your articles you've written and so on that I thought was, were interesting. So um, one we sort of covered, but you would said don't send a PDF. I think the data was you increase your chances by 78%. Was that conversion percent if you don't send a, a PDF versus uh, some sort of interactive online? So this is a little bit tricky to um, to fully work out, but basically this was whether people uh, printed out the PDF on our platform. Mm-hmm. So if it was printed out, um, it was less chance of being digitally signed, which stands to reason because sure. it's been taken offline. Right. So generally you want to keep it online, keep it where they can sign it, I think is the, is the message here. Um, but generally PDFs, as well designed as they can be, like even if I don't know who's the best design company in the world, Apple or something, you know, even sure. if Apple designed a PDF, it's still a PDF, right? And you can't get away from the fact that it just looks like one, right? Whereas when you send something else a little bit more interesting, a bit more engaging, um, it's just got that extra sort of feel of dealing with a proper company, you know, right? Well, you, you also say that based on your your studies, the data, your customers' users, your system, that uh, yeah, that that fancy cover. And cover art doesn't buy you anything. Not so much. The um, the main, the most important part of the proposal is that introduction part. That is the most important part. It's always the part that's read the most. It's always the part that um, we never actually published this in the um, in the reports. 
uh, I, I, we can put a link to the show notes, but it's, sure. um, if we just go to betterproposals.io forward slash reports, you can see um, a couple of years worth of reports there. So a nice sort of visual graphics, you can mm-hmm. go through them and have a right. look through and there's a ton of different data points there. But one of the things we just research on and decided not to um, include was a relationship between uh, the amount of time people were on that first page, what would be the intro page, mm-hmm. and the word count. So we were trying to work out a difference there. And it, it, it did stack up, but we couldn't find an, a sort of, I suppose, a nice sort of friendly way of portraying the data, but it does hold true. Like the word count matches the, you know, the average reading speed and all that kind of stuff. It matched up with what text was there, whereas on some other pages selected at random, it wasn't quite the case. So generally meaning, speaking, so meaning, whatever you put up. So meaning that they read the, the intro page, but they scan the rest. Start scanning the rest, yeah. Yeah. And did you find an optical, uh, optical, I'm sorry, optimal, sorry for my bad English today, an, op, <laughs> an, an optimal length for the introduction? We didn't look into it. We didn't look into it. It all started getting a little bit complicated at that stage. But um, I would say, and this is just gut, this is, this, is not, this is not data, this part, but I would say you don't want it to be too mad. You know, it's got to be very readable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second you start going over to three paragraphs, that's going to get pretty, pretty heavy, pretty quick. So, you, you know, you're asking someone to do a very boring job. You're asking them to sit there and read a really boring document. That's, <laughs> that's what you're asking them to do. It's, <laughs> it's not really that fun. No. Uh, so if you make it engaging and if you include nice imagery, does it really help? With conversion, no, but it makes it a bit more readable. So it's, sort of, it's one of those things. It helps a little bit just to kind of break up some blocks of text, make it a bit more engaging. Bullet points are great. Big walls of text aren't good. They're yeah. not fun to look at, you know? It's like basic readability skills are, are pretty important, especially in, you know, like in, in dry, if, if the document is quite dry and the subject matter is dry, then you need more stuff to kind of make it a bit more interesting. Yeah, I'm a big fan of bullet points in proposals and important documents, more so than ever these days. Because again, as you look at look at your inbox, right? You're scanning your inbox these days. No one goes through it methodically, step by step by step, or you know, email by email by email. You know, they sort of treat their inbox like a social feed. You know, you sort of scanning yeah. what what catches your eye. And so, if people, if you know people are going to be scanning the document, then yeah, the blocks of text they all look like yeah, solid chunks of, of ink as opposed to uh, bullet points that call, call out and catch their attention. Uh, yeah, one thing you said that was interesting that sort of runs against conventional wisdom was that in your proposal, you should only have one offer. And, and there's books written saying that, uh, you know, you need three offers, you know, or you need two offers. And just interested your perspective on how you... So I'll explain where the data came from and that should give some, give some context. So in better proposals in a, in our pricing table feature where you set out your pricing, you can do things like bolt on options and you can do, um, give people multiple choice. So package A, package B, package C, that kind of thing. Um, and what we found was, uh, that the conversion rate was higher if you didn't give people options. So just a single option. So single option, here's what it is. 
and that was it. So if you didn't give people options and you didn't use those options, then we found the conversion rate to be slightly higher. Now, bit of a caveat to this because I've kind of matured in the last couple of years since we started doing all this kind of stuff. Obviously, it's just one data point. It's not cross-referenced with a ton of other things. So take it with a pinch of salt. But there is an element of perhaps some truth to it in the sense that maybe it's like if you are going to do package offers, really think them through and make sure that they are done with best practice. Because what some people do is... So how to explain this. So, okay. So say you're in a supermarket and you're looking at the value brand, the mid range mm-hmm. brand and the store. Brand. Know, you look at biscuits or something and then yeah. the super high end one, right? Yeah. The difference in price there is going to be a maximum of say $3. And that isn't going to make any difference to your life whatsoever. You know, get mm-hmm. the nicer ones. Always. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it isn't going to make a big difference. It's, it's like, which, you just go with a gut feel and that's it. But, sure. the, but the impact of getting the wrong choice doesn't matter. Right. You know, now scale it up and add some zeros, you know, mm-hmm. it, yeah. Something complex. If something, you're making, something that, that somebody has, right. Well, there's something, somebody has something at stake in the decision, right? So that's exactly, th- this is my opinion on the data and I'm trying to make sense of it. But my theory on it was, that sometimes people don't get the package offers right. And because they don't set them out how some of these great famous books suggest that you do it by framing one of them as the better deal and kind of edging them towards a certain one, which is the whole point of the package selling in the first place. Now, if you do that and you do it correctly, then I think it can work brilliantly. But I think what a lot of people do is they go, oh, well, package A is this one, package B is this one, and package C is this one. And they genuinely can't tell the difference between, well, not can't tell the difference. They can't make a choice right. because they haven't engineered a decision out of them. And I think that's where people fall down. Well, um, I, well I think back to the whole philosophy of, of the proposal, of the type that, that you talk hmm. about, especially if it is a summary of what you've gone through before, hmm. is in at least in a B2B sale with any sort of complexity – you shouldn't be getting to that point of the deal where you're saying, well, you know, you could do A you or, you, or you could do B. Which, which one do you want, right? I mean, as a salesperson, it's your job to have led them to what is mm. the choice of what is the best approach they should use to go forward. And, mm. yeah, I think you come, come across looking, again, my experience, it's not based on tens of thousands, it's based on hundreds if not thousands of, of uh, deals. But it's like, yeah, the customer wants to think that you know Right, you're making the recommendation. What's best for them? It's the lab coat thing. It's the it's the white coat. Take take yeah, yeah. the doctor's approach to it. You know, right. it's like it's like that, you know. It, it depends on your positioning. It depends on your positioning. If you're an order processing kind of salesperson and not downplaying it, but if that's your role, then sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to play that consultant. But if you're in a position where you can play that consultative role and you can be that sort of trusted advisor mm-hmm. and come across as the person that knows what they should do, then yeah, you should be guiding them to a solution and you should have already done that by that point. It seems backwards to me that you would get to the pricing stage of a proposal, which is pretty far through the Hmm. process. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like initially speaking to them right away from that point, you're almost at the end there. To go all the way to the end, so which one do you want? It's almost like that should have happened three weeks ago or seven phone calls ago. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's, all, it's weird. It's like, I don't know. It's almost like you're, you're almost home and then you're like, wait, let's go back out. You're like, yeah. wait. And I was like, mentally, I was finished. I don't I want to go out anymore. Well, like, you're done. Right. I think salespeople oftentimes panic with the single option because they think that's a single option. What if they don't like it? Well, the point is that we made earlier is there's nothing you should say in a proposal that's news to the prospect. They should, they should know all of it. Something you've told them before, you shared, you worked through before. Yeah, if you come in and your pricing is a surprise, that's, that's an issue. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a massive point. I, I think if there is a takeaway anywhere, it, that, that could be, you know, that's, that's a massive point is you should never, ever, ever send a proposal or a price to anybody and it be a surprise to them. Yeah. Ever. Well, which, they should know within a range. Right. Well, I think a second point sort of allied with that is I'm a huge believer that you just never send a proposal without having a meeting or you know online meeting, a yeah. call where you review it almost in real time with the buyer. So, hey, I yeah. just I just sent this to you. Hop, let's hop on this call. Here's the link. Let's walk through it. What a lot of people do, actually, it's really... Um it's really interesting, especially with, um, with things like zoom and, and this kind of stuff is, um, they will build the proposal, not send them the link, then jump on zoom and will screen share the proposal. So they can't skip ahead. Love it. They can't skip ahead, but then they've got it ready on the send page in another tab. Mm -hmm. And when they get to that point, if they're thinking, yeah, this is good. This is, they're a goer. And they just press send and they call, check your email and you can open the link and then you can go and sign it. Yeah. So it's like they guide them all the way through it, handle all the objections and they go, yeah, brilliant. Let's go for it. And you go, cool, check your email. And yeah, there it is. Perfect. And there it is. Type your name, press go. And so, it's like, brilliant. It's awesome. Really, really, really good way of doing it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and that's so just to make sure people understood is you prepare the proposal, but you review it with them first before you send it to them. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So last last bit I wanted to talk about. And again, I'd interest if you had data supporting this or so on because you're pretty strong about it. But as you say, never label the pricing section pricing. And now do you have data that supports why that's a bad idea or whether you should do, do you talk about ROI or return on investment or investment or so on? Any data that supports that one way or another? I'm so curious. Yeah. So the... Um I am just scrolling to our report and I will find it for you. Um, but yeah, the, the general idea is that I mean, obviously it depends what you're selling. You know, if you're selling, a, <laughs> we were joking about early biscuits or something, right, there's right. not a lot of ROI on biscuits other than, you know, it tastes good. But <laughs> it tastes good, right? Weight. Um, Extra weight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, we, the way that we came to the, um, to the conclusion with the, with the pricing section and working that out was we, we simply looked at which one we had a feeling it would be the word investment. That would mm -hmm. be a trigger point because it was built into an awful lot of our templates. We mm -hmm. knew that it would have a heavier weighting. Um, so we simply just looked through and did a search for, um, conversion rate of, uh, proposals that, use the word investment on the, on the pricing page mm -hmm. versus, uh, or naming it right. with investment in versus not. And the conversion rate was higher. Um, 
we didn't publish the conversion rates, um, but that was that was how we that was how we came to it. Um, I do remember it being quite significant. I can't exactly remember the numbers, but I remember thinking, yeah, that doesn't surprise me that it's higher, but I'm surprised it's that high. Um, well, but, uh, I, yeah, and I think that that's an important takeaway for people because, yeah, a lot of people see that and say, well, oh come on, just one word, pricing, investment. It's like. If you're using investment, the customer thinks you're trying to hide something. But I think it's really just the opposite. I think words do matter. And for the most part in B2B sales, your customers are making an investment in your solution, your system. Mm. I, I said, if you think words matter, I think mm. that I think it's a good choice. Yeah, and it's, it's sort of, you know, even if all things are equal, right? And you think, well, I don't care what I use. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Might as well use it because there's some data somewhere that suggests that it works better. So, you know, if you're on the fence with it, you might as well. Well, but, but try it, you know, right? You can always test these things. And, and to your hmm. point is, yeah, maybe we don't have it seems know, more data, data, data from millions of examples, but the fact is, the margin between winning and losing in sales is so slight, so small. I, I tell people, imagine that it's 1% difference between you and the next guy. Mm. So if that's the case, okay. all, 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 these, all these things are important to test and to mm. try and see what works for you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, in, in this day and age, a lot of people want like this golden nugget and this sort of silver bullet kind of solution. And I don't know, as, as we've sort of grown better proposals and it's, you know, decent-sized company now, I've kind of realized that there really isn't anything. There's no one thing that really moves the needle that much. It's right. very rare. It's, it's very, very rare to find something that's a genuine, like, lottery win-style victory. Except, you know, it's, it's, except maybe this podcast, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, you know, there's there's very there's there's very few things that truly move the needle that much. Almost everything is a percentage of a, of a you know a fraction of a percentage. Right. Um, so you know, you might as well take as many of them as you can. Yeah. Well, and also given that you know, we have so many tools and technologies to enable us to test these things out, <laughs> test it out. You know, test it out. See what works best for you, for your customers, what's congruent with the way you sell, uh, congruent with the way the customers buy. Yeah, and all those things. So, all right, Adam, we've run out of time, but it's been great talking with you. And I really appreciate you. <laughs> I think it's uh, getting close to 11 o'clock at night for Adam. <laughs> so thank you for <laughs> staying <laughs> Thank you for staying up to, uh, to talk Pleasure. with us. Re- really appreciate it. So how can people find out more about uh, Better Proposals and how can they connect with you? Uh, so the best way to have anything to do with what I do is um, follow our blog. That's where I write. That's where I post all my thoughts. Um, so that is um, housed on our Better Proposals website, which is betterproposals.io. Um, and then you can find the blog there. Um, there's tons of books and things like that that I've written. Um, that's a it's, it's a nice um, sort of feedback loop there when people sort of read read some of the books that I've written over the years and then you know, sort of reach out. That's always really, really cool. Um, I am on LinkedIn, but it's not something that I particularly engage with much. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, any feedback through the, um, through, the, through the books is always nice. Okay, excellent. Well, Adam, again, thank you very much. Look forward to talking again. Thank you so much, Andy. Take care. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the Week. 
First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Adam Hempenstall. Now, join me again next week as my guest will be Brendan McAdam. Brendan is the author of a very good book titled Salescraft, Proven Tips, Practices, and Ideas to Advance Your Sales Success. Very good book full of just basic tips that are great for beginners and excellent for experienced sellers who like to come back in and sort of refresh themselves a little bit. So you definitely want to check this out. So be sure to join Brendan and me next week for that conversation. I want to thank you again for joining me this week on Accelerate. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.